Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. First Samuel 3, or page 290. I want to talk to you today about the topic of are you listening? We're in our First Samuel series. We're just getting started. We're breaking up into four different parts. The first part is on Samuel. The second part is on Saul. And the third and fourth parts will be breaking up David into two sections. So uh, we're excited as we go through this. And it has been a powerful study for me already. And I just want to encourage you, uh, read through Samuel. Read through it a few times. Uh, Next week we'll be in chapter 4, so start reading ahead of time. Be aware of what's going on. Uh, Write your questions down. It's intriguing when you get in the Word and you start to really see all the different aspects that are there, how powerful it can be. Are you listening? Now, the question that comes from that or on top of that is, what does it take to get you to hear? Unfortunately, we are more prone to want people to hear us than we are to listen to others. We want to be heard. Now, some of those of you out there that are quiet, you gave up trying to be heard a long time ago, so you just keep your mouth shut, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't want to be heard or you want to be noticed. Some of you are loud, and you're really loud because at your situation, whoever was the loudest got to be able to be the one that was heard. And we have lots of in-betweens there on things, but everybody wants to be heard. We really do. We want somebody to acknowledge that what we're thinking, what we're um, processing, how we're living, that somebody's listening to us and is, is interested in caring about us. And in this culture of 24-7, outlets of all kinds, to be able to get our attention, it's hard sometimes to think that we're being heard at all. So this is what I want to ask you to do today. If you have a pen and paper, I want to ask you to get it out, and I want you to listen as we go through the message. As you hear, I want to encourage you to write down questions you might have from the message, observations or applications that you have. You're going to be amazed how blessed you are if you'll stop and you'll listen, really listen, and be able to process some of that even later on. I would encourage you, when we give out our handouts, which you might even have one or two tucked in your Bible from before, we give the notes section, we don't have one this week, but usually, because we want you to be able to write down, because we all process differently. Some of you love it when we have the slides up. That helps a lot. Some of you love when there's videos. You you process that way. Some of you love when we act out things. Some of you like just to hear. Some of you like to be able to write it down. I'm the kind of guy that if I'm not writing and I stop long enough, I nod off. That's the way I am. So I'm writing while somebody's preaching because I know what happens. And it's really embarrassing when somebody else is up here preaching and I'm in the front row nodding off. That's not usually a good thing. It doesn't send a really great message to the people up here. Like, wow, am I that boring? Uh, So I would encourage you, however you process, but I would encourage you. For me, it's taking that paper, it's writing that out. I want to encourage you to really listen today. If you have your phone and use your phone or your Bible app, don't be on Facebook, don't be texting anybody, just read it and listen today. I know you got stuff going on the rest of the day, the rest of the week, some of you came in with burdens, some of you are excited about stuff, just take a moment, we're going to give you a moment here to ask God to prepare your heart, and let's just listen today. I'm only going to talk for about 20 to 25 minutes. I just want you to listen, really listen 
to what's taking place. He can be like my son was. I've used this before. He would really want to get my attention. My oldest son would grab my face and go, Dad, listen to me. Wow, that's really good if I do that. Because I wasn't paying attention. So I'm kind of doing that as your lead elder here, grabbing your face going, listen to this today. I think God's got some great stuff in store, but I need your attention as we go into this today because you're going to hear about a guy who had to listen and what God taught him as a result of it. So let's all take just a few moments to just ask God to prepare your hearts, to quiet you, and to get you in a place of listening, and then I'll pray and we'll get into the text. Father, you have something for each of us here today. Lord, for some that are here, it may be their spiritual birthday, that today's the day they come to know you as their personal Savior. For some, they come and they're just clinging on by their fingernails, and they need to hear the hope of your word, Lord. They need to know your presence in their day-to-day -day life. They need to know the power of the gospel. Lord, for some, they are so excited about things that you're doing, and Father, this message to them might give them more tools, Lord, more weapons to fight against the evil one, tools to be able to continue to be the man or woman of God that you've called them to be. Lord, I know that you want us to hear this message today. I know that you have a purpose and a plan, that each of us is here because you want us here today. So Lord, help each of us to really, truly listen. Amen. So the first thing we see is that the scene is set. Now last week, Brian, if you were here, preached on kind of what, how, how bad things were. I mean, Israel was in a really, really, really bad place. They have been rejecting God. They had been doing their own thing. It was, it was oftentimes seen where you could go and you'd see a place where there would be some worshiping of God over here and over here would be worshiping of idols. It was a, a nation that was torn between do we follow Jehovah God that we're commanded to or do we follow these other gods that we really are drawn to because everybody around us is worshiping these gods. Everybody around us is talking about these gods. Everybody we trade with has these gods. What do we do? And is really God the God that he says? Because I don't see him the way that I would like to see him. And the voice of God in their ears got quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter. You know what I love about God? That no matter how bad things, God never forgets his people. He never forgets his people. No matter how bad things get, folks, he never forgets us. And he will always send a voice to us. The nation of Israel got to hear the voice of God through Samuel. Now, praise God that we have the word of God to hear his voice nowadays. We have brothers and sisters in Christ he places around us to encourage us with the word of God in our lives. We have it right here. Praise the Lord for that. Do we take that for granted that we're able to be able to be here today? Folks, there's many in this world that are getting up this morning. They're hungover from last night. They're getting up this morning and they're wondering how they're going to get through today. They got up this morning and they're all wrapped up in their world. They don't understand the hope of the gospel. We're here today, I hope joyfully to say, I'm coming to worship the God of eternity, the God that sent Christ to die on the cross. I want to hear from him today. I don't want to punch my spiritual time clock. I want to know better how I can be serving and following and love him the way that he wants me to. See, our culture is like Israel. Man, there's a lot of bad stuff going on, folks. 
Stuff that if you watch all the media that's out there and grab a newspaper and all that, it can seem very hopeless. But God is still in control. God's still in charge. If the world is going to get worse, hello, the Bible says it's going to get worse. But you know what's great? One day, the trumpet's going to sound. And the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first, and then all of us who know him as Savior are going to join him together in the clouds to be with him forever, folks. It's done then. Christ wins it all on earth and in heaven, which he's already done. He claims it. And we'll get to spend eternity with him. But while we're on this earth, he always has that voice for us. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. Don't back down. Don't get distracted in your life. Samuel was stuck right in the middle of what most people would not have thought is a good job. I mean, the nation is rejecting, and Samuel's going to be a a priest? Samuel's going to be one that's going to be trying to help this small remnant of people? I mean, Samuel knew what was going on with Hophni and Phinehas. He knew what people thought about the tabernacle, what people thought about the temple and worshiping Jehovah God. He knew that a lot of people thought it was a joke. He knew how grieved the remnant was about how Hophni and Phinehas were just destroying the true worship of God, of Yahweh. So we see in the first three verses here, the boy Samuel, and a lot of them it's interpreted young man. He wasn't little anymore. He was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. We talked about that. There was no frequent vision. They didn't hear from God very often. They didn't see God very often anymore. And Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so he couldn't see, he was lying down in his own room. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Now, what are those last, that last verse talking about? They, where it talks about the, um, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now, it's easy to try to make this all symbolic and that that somehow means that the lamp of God in Israel had taken place. And maybe it had. I mean, we know that that seemed to be the way things are. But this was a practical thing. This is giving you a time of day. At night, if you read in the Levitical um, the books and, and, and some of the, the laying out of the law and, and uh, the, the habits of the temple, you saw in there that the lamp of God, they'd light it in the evening time and they'd light it in the morning time. And what happened over time is it would, it would burn down where it would stop, it would stop glowing, the, the, the lamp would. And they used oil. It wasn't like the Yankee candles that we're used to today. There was no apple spice in the temple that was burning there, just plain old oil being burnt. And they're burning the oil, and overnight, the oil would burn down till it was all gone, and when the oil burned out, it was kind of like dawn, usually. And then they would light it up again for the rest of the day, and it would burn out about evening time, they'd start it up again. So what we're trying to get here is this is kind of right before the crack of dawn. Everybody's asleep. They're in their REM sleep at this time, just about to come out of it. And we see that scene all set out there. And then it happened. The young man was summoned, we see next. Verse number four, then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, here I am. Now, Samuel was used to being called in the middle of the night. In fact, where he was sleeping at was probably, right, he was 
probably given the responsibility being the guy in the bottom of the totem pole, that he was the, the temple kind of errand guy. If something happened in the middle of the night, emergency, somebody came looking for one of the priests, or they needed help, Samuel was the guy that could hear what the problem was and try to find the right person. Eli was getting older. He needed help. He was common, I would imagine, for Eli to call out to Samuel, and he might need help as an older guy to do different things in the middle of the night. And so, you know, he was used to that. He was either sleeping right where in the temple itself, or more than likely a room right off of that so that he was available and ready and could hear what was going on there. And he hears, he hears a voice of what he thinks is Eli that calls out to him. And, and like I said, he was used to being called out in the, in the middle of the night. And his response, I love it, was here I am. That's one word in the Hebrew, here I am, or here am I, and one word called benina in the, in the Hebrew, that one word. And it's a common phrase that was used to show submitted authority to the one who was calling. So Samuel, I don't know about you, but if it's four in the morning, let's say, and somebody calls me, my response is not going to usually be, here I am or here am I. It's going to be, what? Really, now? Are you kidding me? Can I wait an hour or two? I don't know that I would be quite as obedient, but it shows, again, the reflection of Eli's, excuse me, Samuel's heart there. He was used to this, he responded right, he had the right attitude, and what does he do? He immediately, the Bible says, he goes and he tries to check in and see what Eli has going on. In fact, the Bible says this, he said, I didn't call you, into verse 5, so go lie down. And then we see in verse 6, he called him again a second time. Samuel rose, here I am, you called me, he said, I didn't call, lie down. And this is interesting, verse 7, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now, we need to understand something here. Sometimes we can have a, a, a perspective that when we see things in the Old Testament, we make a New Testament um, correlation to it that really isn't there. This wasn't talking about Samuel wasn't saved. Saved in the way that we think of it, where he's come to that point of acknowledging his sin, needing Christ as Savior, and asking for forgiveness of sin. This was talking about the fact that Samuel, at the stage was that he never had any personal contact with God. We already heard how it was rare to have the visions that you really didn't, that the presence of God was not seen or felt often. And Samuel, he didn't recognize the voice of God because he'd never heard the voice of God before. He didn't have that connection with God at this point in time. So as he hears that, he doesn't understand that it's God talking to him. Now, three times he hears that. Now, three times he responds with what? Here I am, or here am I. I'm hearing you. Three times. Now, I don't know, again, like, like I said, if I were Samuel, by the second or third time, I specifically would have some issues. I mean, really? You, you, you got to keep calling me? Is this a joke you're playing? Is this some of the other guys playing a joke? I mean, this is ridiculous. But we see what happens next. It says, uh, he went back down, verse number <clears throat> 9, and he laid in his place. And then verse number 10, the Bible says this, and the Lord came and stood, calling it at other times. This is after Eli had said to him, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, to go back and to say, here am I. And interesting, now, in the first three times, you'll notice this, he didn't once, we don't once see where it says God stood. He, he called, but there's no stood. So he heard from God, but didn't really know what that calling was at that time. Didn't, had not heard from God before. Now God's not just calling, but standing, possibly as a vision. We don't know that for sure. But stood there, it says, he acknowledges that, calling us at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. 
And again, you hear, see his response to now, I'm talking to God. Now, we sometimes in our culture lose some of the holiness of God aspect. We get kind of used to God, where we use, use him sometimes as a genie in a lamp or just a name. We hear him used as a curse word often. He's kind of attached to church-type stuff. But if we really get an understanding of who the holy God is, that was the way Samuel saw God. He understood about the holy of holies that only the priest could go into, and the priest had to be prepared as he took the sins of the Israelites in there, and even had on his garment little bells with a rope around his ankle, so if he wasn't where he should be with God, he was struck dead and they pulled him out of the holy of holies because nobody else could go get him. He understood the steps that were taken in preparation of the bathing that took place and the sacrifices that were made in order to be in right standing with God. He got all that. He understood this was a holy God who's now talking to me. He's talking to me. Samuel gets, gets it. Now, I want to ask you a question that I asked you earlier. Are you listening? Now, look at this example. You're going to see that Samuel has many different emotions here when he hears from both Eli and from God. But in all of these, what do we always see? In all of these, what do we always see? Obedience. Obedience to Eli and obedience to God. And it was immediate obedience. Without question. The question that we have to ask ourselves then is, do we listen that way? Because we have the word of God. So when God's word tells us to do something, do we obey immediately and eagerly what he wants us to do? Forgive your enemies. Do good to those who use you. Go out and feed the poor. Share the gospel. Commands that God gives to us, and he lays them out for us. Do we immediately obey it, or do we do this, which I believe a lot of us do? We contextualize what God's doing. We read the passage and we think, well, but that was back then. Well, God, you know my circumstances. I'd really love to, but I can't. Well, Lord, you know the culture I live in. You know the wife you gave me. You know the husband I have. You know the way my kids are. You know the way Pastor John is. I mean, come on, Lord. Don't I get like an out on this? Don't I get a mulligan? See, we have caught into our culture, I'm afraid, that we hear the word of God. We even like to hear the preaching of the word of God. It's more available than ever through podcasts and other things. You can hear it 24 hours a day. A lot better than mine all the time. But if we're hearing it and we're not obeying it, then we're really not listening to it. Did you catch that? If we're hearing it and we're not obeying it, then we're really not listening. I, as a parent, have told my kids probably 10,000 times. I'm not sure that I'm exaggerating either. I have a pet peeve. It's when I walk in the door at home, I've shared this before, I just don't like to trip over shoes. I don't know why it's so hard for people to take their shoes off and not move them from in front of the door. It seems very simple to me. Move them to the side, take them in another area, do something with them. But why why, I implore of you, why do you have to leave them right inside the door? Now, I've told my family that. 
I, sh I could make posters of that. I could put it on their phone. I could have an automatic text that goes to them. I'm telling you, I don't know what it is, but dad doesn't really mean that. It must come into their mind. Or maybe it's, I don't care what dad says. I'd rather go with the first one. It makes me feel a little bit better. But constantly, over and over and over again, they hear it, but they don't do it, so they're not really listening. Folks, God didn't just decide, hey, you know what, I'm bored. I'm going to put this Bible together and throw it out to these humans, and hopefully they'll grab a couple things and decide to follow them, because I really want them to have a good life. And meanwhile, you know, we'll see what happens when it all plays out. That's not God. Hey, if there's anything you're going to read and understand about the Old Testament, God is a God of order. I mean, God's meticulous in the way he wants things. There is nothing in this Bible that's an oopsie. Or a, everybody, when he says all, means all but John Buckley. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't mean that. Folks, Samuel had an amazing example for us. He heard and he did it. That means he listened. Are we listening to what God tells us to do? Love your wife. Love your husband. Well, you know how they treat me? Doesn't matter. Obey your parents. Do you know what my parents, have you seen their rules? Doesn't matter. Obey the authority. Do you know that when, the, when Paul wrote about obeying the government, Nero was the emperor more than likely who was burning Christians? Ouch, we don't like that one. Obey the government? Folks, there's all kinds of stuff in his word that he didn't put here because he just didn't know what else to do with his time. He did all this because he cares deeply for you so much he sent Christ to die on the cross for you that you could be redeemed. And then he gave us this word so we could listen to what it has to say in our lives. We need to be better listeners, but that should be followed by, followed by obedient, should, be, should have followed, followed up with obedience. That's what true listening is. Now, I want to go back to verse 4 again. I want to talk about the old man who was shepherding. Eli was an old man. He was tired. He was almost blind. He was weary. You know what I love about Eli? Now, his boys disgraced him before not only his family and God. He'd not taken the stand that he should as a priest as well as a father. And then God put Samuel in his life. What a breath of fresh air. Samuel that's eager about learning the principles. Samuel that's eager about obeying the word of God. He, he was endeared to him. You'll see in the, in the verses here, he calls him son. He was special to Samuel. Eli was special. Uh, Samuel special to Eli. They had a special relationship. He became a spiritual father to Samuel. Now, when we hear that God calls and he runs to Eli, it's easy to take the approach, well, why didn't Eli just tell him right up front? Now, some would say that maybe because of the way that Eli had compromised that he was not spiritually as discerning as he'd been before. And that could be the case. Eli might have just been an old guy who thought, man, you know what, Sammy must have heard me snoring, <laughs> mumbling in my sleep, heard some of their noises. What, for whatever reason, he didn't get it. But you know what I love is he was patient in his shepherding. 
Go back to bed, son. I don't need you. Go back to bed, son. I don't need you. And then when he did get, hey, this is God speaking. You know what have been easy for Eli to do? Well, why isn't he talking to my kids? And I wonder even if Eli didn't have a sense of, once he knew it was God calling Samuel, I wonder if Eli didn't have a sense of, I know what he's going to tell him. I mean, Eli's not an idiot. He was the spiritual leader of Israel. He knew what was going on with his kids. He saw what was happening. He heard the rumors. He saw the looks. He might have had an idea. I think it kind of proves itself out in his response after he hears the vision. But I love that Eli had not, even in his old age, he hadn't given up on shepherding. Lord, you give me this dumb little kid? I'm old already. I don't want to bring up another kid. I already brought up my kids, and boy, I made a mess of those ones. You want to give me another one? Really? And yet you see him patiently and lovingly guiding and directing and loving on Samuel. And what I'm just reminded by that is we have these opportunities to shepherd. By the way, parents, I want to tell you something. We are always called to pursue our children. I don't care what age they are. You are, have an opportunity to shepherd your kids until the day you bring your last breath. You shepherd them. Whatever opportunity. And believe me, there's times that they listen, and there's times they're listening. You don't know that they're listening. And there's times, you're right, they have no idea what you're talking about, aren't listening at all. I've said this before. My favorite is when I tell my kids something a thousand times. See, I'm not using the 10,000 this time. And then they'll go and they hear it from somebody else, and they'll run to me and go, Dad, so-and-so said this. It was amazing. And you're thinking, really? And that's when you got to keep your mouth shut and go, great, that's awesome. But we're called to shepherd our family. We're also called to reach out, and there's people God puts around us. But I can't even imagine how happy Elkanah and Hannah were that Eli poured into their son. Even with his baggage, they saw him teach. You're going to see in Samuel's life, he, he had been taught well what God's word was all about, the principles that were there, the practices as a priest that you should do. Him being a judge, he had all kinds of opportunities to do many different spiritual things. You can see him ooze with the teaching that Eli had given to him, even with his shortcomings. And Elkanah and Hannah must have been excited when they'd see him each year and they'd see the growth not only in Samuel physically but spiritually. Folks, I just want to encourage you. Who are you shepherding? First of all, your family, but who outside of that are you reaching out to and you're taking under your wings and you're helping them on their journey? You know what? I'll tell you this. When it comes to shepherding, you never know the outcome, but you do know the command. We've all been commanded to make disciples, to do that shepherding. We know that's a command, but you know what? A lot of times we do it because we think we want to know the outcome. You're not going to know the outcome. You might not ever know the outcome. My wife is down in preschool, but her mother passed away. And it wasn't until after her mother died, praying for years for her brother Kurt, her son Kurt. He didn't get back and get right to the Lord until two or three years after his mom died. Judy, my mother-in-law, never on this planet ever saw her son go back and get in a right relationship with God. But she prayed and she hoped every day. Folks, we can't be worried about what we see we have to be worried to do what we're called as Christians to do. We're commanded to be the obedient one again. Eli was obedient in how he dealt with Samuel. We see that he shepherded him even in the struggles that he faced, even the shortcomings, even in the failures that he had. And my challenge to you is do we do the same thing in our lives?
And then we see the Lord's message, verse number 11. Verse number 11. It says this. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Now, if you use, hear, see the word tingle anywhere in the Old Testament, it's going to tell you something. In fact, if you want to look up a couple of verses to reinforce it, um, you can look up 2 Kings 21.12 and Jeremiah 19.3 as a couple of them. 2 Kings 21.12, Jeremiah 19.3. They both talk about with the tingling of ears meant the judgment of God was coming. You didn't want to hear that phrase in something if you were going to be the one judged by God as a result of it. And he said, they're going to, their ears are going to tingle as a result of this. It says in verse 12, On that day I'll fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. We started that journey in chapter 2. You heard when Brian shared. Verse 13, I declare to him that I'm about to punish this house forever. Why, why was he going to have to punish the house? For the iniquity that he knew. You're responsible for the iniquity that you know. Eli, the iniquity that you knew as a priest and a father. That the iniquity of Eli's house, I'm sorry, the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God. Now, I want you to keep your finger here and I want you to turn. I don't have you do this often, but I want you to turn to Leviticus with me. Chapter 24. I know everybody's favorite book of the Bible. Leviticus 24. Actually, Ryan Gross, this is one of his favorite books of the Bible. So, Leviticus 24. I'm going through the Read Scripture app right now, and I'm almost done with Leviticus. And boy, it's amazing the way they do the Bible project, do with it. You get a new appreciation for it. Leviticus chapter 24, verse number 11. Leviticus 24 and verse number 11. I want you to listen as I read through this. I'll even start in verse 10. Now an Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name, the capital. Most of your Bibles probably have it. There's a capital N there. That means they blasphemed God and cursed. Then they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shalomith, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord should be clear to them. Verse 13. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses, his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. Hophni and Phinehas blasphemed God. We see that in chapter 3, if you want to turn back there now. He blasphemed God. They blasphemed God. That was the sin that they were being held responsible for, that Eli was, their blaspheming of God. Now, what was he being held responsible for? His responsibility because they blasphemed God as a priest of Israel, the high priest of Israel, he should have stoned his boys. Wow. Now, I think when you hear that, you at least understand why Eli might not have decided to do that. That would have been really, really hard. But he also could have removed them from their priestly office at a minimum. Now, he should have stoned them, according to what the scriptures say. He knew that. But he didn't even do anything. What does the next verse say? Not only because they blasphemed God, the next phrase says this. They blasphemed God, and he did not restrain them. 
So first of all, they blasphemed God. They should have been stoned, and he didn't restrain them. He didn't do anything to hold that back at all, the influence that they had. That's why the judgment was coming. Folks, we as Christians have got to be the ones that, again, are willing to be obedient to what the Scriptures say, especially when it comes to sin. We make allowances for sin in our lives way too often. Well, I know I lose my temper, but it's the Irish in me. No, it's the sin in you. Well, my dad did that. No, you're following a path of sin. Your mom, it doesn't matter. You're going to stand before God if you don't know Christ and be held responsible for that. Christians, we've been forgiven of our sins. Are we broken over them? Are we asking God to help free us from the chains of the ongoing things that plague us so we can be the people of God the way he wants us to? Are we okay with our pet sins? Do we nurture them? Well, you know what? Everybody's got something to work on. True. But if God points out sin in your life, do you deal with it or do you excuse it? Do you blame? Eli was being held responsible as a priest and a father for his children's sin and for the way that had affected in his priestly role the nation of Israel. And God doesn't pull punches. Let's finish the rest of that passage. Verse 14. Therefore I swear, I make a commitment to the house of Israel. I make a vow. When God makes vows, he does not break them that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Eli, I don't care how many offerings you make. I don't ever care how much you plead for the atonement that's taken place or participate in that. You will never have this taken from your house. Now, praise God that if we come to Christ as sinners no matter how bad we've been, no matter how much we've dealt with the struggles of our life, God forgives all of it. He makes us his children. But I'll also say to us as Christians, we have the Spirit of God living in us, and as a result of that, we can break the chains of any sins that we still struggle with. But we have got to make sure that we treat them the way that God treats sin that we hate them, that we ask God to give us a hatred, that we put boundaries in our life so that we don't get sucked up into ongoing with it. If you can't handle stuff on your phone, take it off. If you can't handle being on the computer, get off of it. I don't care what you have to do. The Bible says if your eye offends, you rip it out. Whatever we need to do, especially those of us who are called the name of Christ that have been forgiven of our sins, don't be held bondage then. Be held in bondage by those. Do what's necessary so that you can claim the freedom and victory that God intends for you to have. Eli's family was done. One of the most powerful families in Israel, him being the high priest, his sons being the priest, no matter what. What a picture for us today that the harshness of the Old Testament, the line in the sand that we as Christians can experience the grace and mercy of God, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ did for us. What a beautiful picture here of what should happen as a result of our sin. We should be stoned, so to speak. We should be cut off from God. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that if we believe in him, we won't perish, but have everlasting life. Again, God didn't just throw that in here. He meant it for each of us. So then we see verse number 14 as we finished up. Verse 15, Samuel lay until morning. Well, yeah, I'm not going to go back to sleep. <laughs> wow. You know why? Because he knew Eli was going to ask him. And he gets up, and what do we hear? Eli immediately goes, Samuel, what'd you hear? And don't hold anything back. Again, that's why I think he had a sense. I think he knew it was going to be personal. Because he wanted to make sure Samuel told him everything. And when Samuel told him everything, I love that Eli's response wasn't in anger at God. He understood he'd sinned and basically said, God's God, and whatever God decides, I'm going to accept. And we see at that point a shifting of the spiritual leadership start to begin from Eli to Samuel. And we see that God starts to use Samuel as you read the last few verses. Most of the times the prophets had a regional influence, but you'll see there, if you see the boundaries that they lay out there, Samuel had influence over the whole nation of Israel. You'll see that played out as we continue our study as well. But Samuel was used of God to make a powerful impact for the Lord. And he had to go real quickly from a boy to a man when he had to give the harsh words of doomsday prophecy to his spiritual father. He had to step up to the man plate and go, okay, let me tell you what God said. Hey, folks, every week when I get in front of you with the word of God, I do it with fear and trepidation. I'm going to be held responsible to God for what I share with you. I don't take that lightly. Now, your responsibility is to hear the word of God and really listen to it. So my question again is, are you listening? Now, especially in this area of sin, folks, deal with the sins of your life. Stop making excuses. You don't have to go looking for sin. When I pray to God, I go, Lord, I know that I'm battling these two things. I need to ask your help in them. But Lord, if there's other things that I've done that are sinning against you, bring them to my mind. And believe me, he does. Oh, I need to go ask that person for forgiveness. And I do what the rest of you do. Well, you know, they know I didn't mean it. You know, I go down the excuse rabbit trail. And God keeps saying, no, John, you confess it to me and then you make it right with the person. We need to deal with our sin in proper ways. Don't make them your pets. Don't make excuses. I have a few takeaways. This world is lost, folks. We need to be a voice of hope. Israel was in a bad place. They really were. But don't lose hope. Because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Parents, don't lose hope in where your kids are at. Don't lose hope in where your marriage is at. Don't lose hope in where you're at with your job. Don't lose hope in even what you think might be challenges at church or in our community. Folks, we have the opportunity to go out and be a voice of hope in a world that desperately knows they have no hope. Let's do that like Samuel did. Be ready to say yes. 
Go, pray, ask God, Lord, what sins have I done? Whatever he points out, say, okay, yes, Lord, I understand that. I ask for forgiveness, I move forward. If God's calling you to do something, if you come across something as you read his word, and he says, do this, my encouragement to you is stop making excuses and start saying yes. Well, but my life doesn't fit that right now. It doesn't matter then. You change your life because you have to be obedient to God. Learn to say yes. Be ready to say yes. The third thing is impact the next generation. We are one generation away from being a godless society. So what are you going to do to make sure the cause of Christ goes to the next generation? Well, that's your job, Pastor John. You're right, it is. But it's our job. What are you going to do? I've worked so many hours. I have this going on. I have that. No, God gave that to all of us to impact this generation for you. And my final thought is this. Start your legacy today. Go home and pray, Lord, who do you want me to impact? Lord, what do you want me to to say yes to. Lord, who can I be a voice of hope to? God's not going to hold out on you, folks. He'll show you. He'll prompt it. You'll get some weird things to go, wow, I know that's God, and there'll be other subtle things that you'll see the hand of God in. But you'll be amazed at what he'll do in and through you. Let's pray. Father, thank you again your word. Lord, I ask that you would really use it to impact us in permanent ways. Lord, my heart aches for the way that we make excuses for our sin, Lord. You've been doing a lot of convicting in my life this week even with the things that I make allowances for, God. We're so easy at painting things in a good light when really they're evil and wicked. Lord, we need to be that legacy passing on church that we're seeking for ways to continue to allow the Samuels of this world to be impacted. Lord, we need to be more like Samuel and be willing to say yes to what needs to be done. Lord, motivate us as the army that you have intended for us to be. We ask in your precious and your holy name. Amen.